founders. Welcome back to the Zero to 5,000 podcast, where we obsess over the convergence of human potential and business results. Today, our hosts, Drew McClure and Jordan Mitchell, have another insightful conversation for you. So let's jump right in. Okay, founders, welcome back to the podcast. Today, I'm sitting down with John Beck, founder and CEO of Ursus, a fast-growing staffing company providing unique candidate client experiences for top freelancers and full-time creative talent. Whether you are looking for your next career move, scaling a growing team, adding a trusted partner to your staffing program, or completing a project, Ursus is here for you. Here to tell us more is John. So John, my new friend, let's get started. Thank you for being here. Hi, Drew. Good morning. Thanks for being here. Or thanks for having me on the show. Yes, sir. So I know you have an extensive background, been a part of multiple companies that have grown and scale and been acquired or you've sold. And now you find yourself doing this. And so I'm just curious, where did Ursus come from? Yeah, I, I, I'd like to say I woke up one day and jumped out of bed and said, I'm going to start a staffing company, but that's really not how it happened. And um, in fact, when I did and people realized what I was doing, a lot of my uh, friends and colleagues asked me what on earth was I thinking? I, uh, to your point, have been fortunate enough to have been with a lot of companies with great management teams, six acquisitions, one IPO, and I've always wanted to start my own business. And um, after the, the company prior to starting Ursus was acquired by Cisco, I was looking around for my next opportunity and and just decided that was a point in my life where I was it was trying to it was time to start my own uh, my own gig, and so I uh, I wound up partnering actually with uh, a buddy of mine who I had been to school with. He's a couple years older than I am. We both went to UC Berkeley, and um, the original blueprint for the company was to build a cloud professional managed services company. We couldn't touch that piece of the business because my partner at the time was under non compete, and so we decided to start the the staffing business. And during that first year, which was you know, quite honestly, a bit of a learning curve for me because I was an outsider. I fell in love with the business. And when his non-compete ended, he wanted to go back to the things that we'd originally talked about. And I was really just kind of having fun doing the staffing thing. And uh, we parted ways amicably. I bought him out. And here we are almost uh, seven years later with the business that's been recognized as the, the fastest growing uh, technical staffing firm in the United States. Where, where did the idea come from? Was it as you were using, or as you were a part of your other companies, you realized how difficult this problem was and it wasn't being adequately solved. Like how did it even really get on your radar? Yeah. I, you know, I, other than the first exposure, when we started the business, I had had a lot of experience hiring from the other side of, of, of the desk per se. And it worked with a lot of staffing companies and uh, was also part of a large organization that had a staffing division and was involved in the, you know, how the business worked and sat in a lot of the calls and they weren't very good to be honest at what they did, but they were successful despite themselves. And this is not a complicated business but it's not an easy business. And so when I looked at the landscape and it's, it's, it's busy, there's a lot of, of, of staffing firms in the United States, I think close to 12,000 plus the, the differentiators are really how you operate uh, with efficiency and time in this business is it's the most precious commodity. Um, and then how you differentiate in terms of your brand, in terms of your, contractor experience and employee experience in terms of their culture. So it's really about operational discipline. I wish that we could come up and invent a widget that would solve the problems of, of the lack of talent. And a lot of people are trying to solve that problem. That's not what we do. 
Um, but it's really about operational discipline and, and we're a services business and, um, and we got to lead with service and that's what we've done since day one and it's served us well. So the challenge I imagine with a, getting a company like that going is you've got two different markets you've got to be able to access. You've got to be able to access the people they're looking to hire and you know, really get your name out there and get them to start to see you, trust you, that kind of thing. But you also got to go find the people that they might want to hire. That's right. And actually know who the candidates are and get them to use your service. So how did you go about acquiring both of those markets? Yeah, it, it's, that's a very good observation. And it's one that we still, every time that we think about what we do as a business, we have to serve those two populations. It's about our clients who are hiring the people and it's about the talent that are our employees at the end of the day. They're W-2 employees of ours, and we got to make sure that, that they come first. Uh, and those are very different messages a lot of the time. Um, so from the client acquisition perspective, I was fortunate enough that I've been in Silicon Valley for, you know, not to date myself, but almost 25 years and have a lot of people in my network, and I called on them and still do to this day. And so even before we hired our first salesperson, which was, I think, in year two or three, uh, that's how we built the business. And we've been very fortunate to, to have uh, referrals from uh, the first few clients that have led to where we are today. And that, that also continues. From an employee acquisition standpoint, our focus is on technology and creative, uh, powering the digital transformation, as it's referred to now. And there are you know, everyone has access to the same tools. There are job boards, there's LinkedIn, there's, you know, all the, all the names that you know, Indeed, et cetera. All those tools have ways and features and functionalities to manage and find the talent. By the estimates of people like Indeed, they say most recruiters use about 20 to 25% of the features and functionalities that the tool offers. So we really try to take advantage of if everyone has a level playing field and has access to the same tools, how can we use the tool to the best of its ability? How can we market ourselves to the best of the ability? And so when we do talk to a software developer, that we can be as credible as possible. We know what we're talking about. We have technical prowess. We understand what the job and the company is about because especially today, it's a candidate-driven market. And if you're really good at what you do as a you know, creative design person, or again, a software developer or a cloud infrastructure person, you're getting calls every single day from recruiters. And if you don't show up with your best um, and lend credibility and you know, instill confidence in that person, they're gonna move on to the next person. So that's really what we spend a lot of time on with our team, whether you've been in the industry for 10 years or it's your first month, we continue to train and try to make ourselves better uh, as individuals and as a company. What year did this get started? 2015. Okay. In that first year or two, you know, what I would assume would be the vulnerable years where <laughs> most, most companies end up, you know, going to die. Uh, what were the biggest challenges that had to be overcome in those first two years? The list is long. What I remember is, uh, and, and top of the list is cash. Um, we have, so at the end of the day, we're, we're, a, we're, a, we're facilitating an employee base and have to pay them by law every single two weeks. Um, I have a lot of um, memories slash nightmares of running to the bank and maxing out my credit card and taking big piles of cash from one bank to the other to deposit, to scrape and, and piece together how we could make payroll in that given week. My CFO, who was employee number one with us, she and I laugh about it because 
she hated reaching out to me to have that discussion. Well, here's, here's what we need this week. We have three days to go get it. And that's where I spent a lot of my time was chasing down collections uh, with the business that we had with coddling together cash, because at that point in our evolution, we didn't have any operating history. We couldn't go to a bank, right? They, they, yeah. they wouldn't, they wouldn't give us line of credit. And um, that is without a doubt the most precarious time for anybody getting into this business. If you wanted to go the contract route, um, you know, and, and now, now today we have a fantastic banking partner and lines of credit and, and we don't, we still are obviously mindful of how we manage that, but it, uh, that was far and away the most stressful part of the business. Yeah. How, man, I got a lot of questions about that. Um, <laughs> one would be, how did you personally deal with the pressure of that? That, that can just be an all consuming, uh, pressure at some points you got three days or you see that yeah. ticking down and the worst case scenarios are popping in your brain. And, you know, I'm just curious, like, how did you deal with the pressure of all that? Uh, well, there's a couple ways. One, I we have, even in our very early days, um, we had we have we had and have a very good management team. My CFO has been there before. She's gone from zero to hundred million dollars a couple times. Um, the their, our entire management team is really really strong, but we have a few people on the team that have been there and done this and walked that path, and that was really helpful. I leaned on them. Uh, I also have a board uh, that's very supportive and and help me through that um, as well. Uh, helps be married to a very um, patient and committed wife. Um, when we had the opportunity to, to buy out the rest of the business, she was all in, we sold our house to do it. Uh, it was without a doubt, a big bet and a big gamble. And, um, and she supported it and, um, and still does to this day. And so that really helps. Um, but the other one, just on a personal note is, you, you know, you have to just continue to put things in perspective and just keep going. And that sounds easy to say, and, but I hear so many founders talk about it because they're, I, you know, I'd be lying to you if I didn't tell you there were plenty of days where I said, that's it, I'm done. I, I can't do this anymore. It's too much. And if you just pick yourself up and if the only thing you keep telling yourself is just keep going to go, a lot of days that's enough. And, um, and, and, and I, you know, you see it time and time again, I'm sure with all the people that you've talked to, you hear that over and over again, keep going is, is, is as important, as important as everything. So, yeah. That's, that's the most interesting thing to me in my own experience of running my business, as well as, like you said, all the people I've interviewed, is I haven't really found a story yet where there, there wasn't a point where you almost threw the towel in. Yep. Makes and you it, stronger. Yeah. It makes you stronger. It, 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 it's like, you know, forging steel. The more times you get hit and knocked around, the stronger you're going to get. And, um, and it continues to serve us well today. Uh, and we still... Frankly, I think about the business today. We're, you know, uh, plus minus a fifty million dollar business. I think about our business very similar today in terms of making good decisions and being prudent, as I did when we were, you know, making our first hundred thousand dollars, and right. uh, and that's a good thing, uh, I think. Yeah, absolutely. If we look at those first two years again from a different angle, this time not about what was the biggest challenge, but as you reflect back. What are the things that you are most glad you did or focused on in those first few years? There's a couple, and I wish I could tell you that I had a master plan. I think I got lucky in some of the decisions and I trusted my gut. One was we very early in, in our journey embraced remote work. Mm. We did it five years ago and uh, we were trying to hire a recruiter that was by her estimate, spending over two and a half hours at her current job 
commuting back and forth to San Francisco. And she asked us, hey, is it cool if I work a day or two from home? And we really wanted her. We thought very highly of her. And, you know, she's now a director um, and has been promoted a couple of times. And so we said yes. And as I was making that decision, I was thinking to myself, I commute about an hour and a half every day from the east part of the Bay Area into San Francisco. That's a lot of waste of time sitting on a train and, you know, um, not being very happy with what I'm doing, that I could be either working or spending time with my family. And so we went for it and um, we, we embraced it. And that allowed us to hire people in other parts of the country that we would never have looked at had we not made that decision. And when the pandemic hit and everyone was scrambling and trying to figure things out, we just kept rolling. Uh, and we learned, we learned a lot and have learned a lot during that time because it's hard. It's different. And when you're trying to build culture and communicate with each other and all the things that go into to the operational running of a business, remote is harder than being um, in an office with someone. But we're really good at it now. And we think it's a differentiator. And as we start to come out of this, and hopefully we don't go back, um, we're seeing a lot of our competitors ask their employees to come back to the office. And a lot of employees don't want to. And that's going to be a hiring opportunity for us, for sure. Yeah, that's been the most interesting thing that I've witnessed as well. The way I, I know you have a sports background, I have a sports background as well. When I was watching this happen, it reminded me if we look at the pro of it, right? So there's there's the challenge side of it as well, like not being around each other, you know, the the camaraderie or the things that just get passed around from being near each other. Uh, the upside is it just reminded me of recruiting, like the simple recruiting benefit of being able to recruit from a larger sample size that isn't just located to how many people are within 30 minutes of your company. Like, again, if you just think about hike in high school, that was the biggest challenge. You, all you had to recruit from was who was in your County. Yes. And you weren't allowed. One of my friends, you know, that came to our high school almost wasn't allowed to play because he technically was here, but his grandma lived in here. And you know what I mean? It yeah. was one of those things. Yet you look at the national team or whatever, why are, they, why are they better? Well, they simply have the whole country to pull from and just choose the best 11 out of the whole country. And I think some people are starting to go, this is actually really nice that we have a much larger talent pool to pull from to find the exact right person or team for this job, independent of whether they're within 30 minutes of my office or not. Yeah. Does that make sense? There's no question. And, and that's one of the silver linings of the pandemic that the talent pool expanded. And it's not for every job. If you're you know, designing a product in a lab, you've got to be close to the lab and go into the lab. But if you're a software developer, if your job is to do your work on a keyboard with a screen and a, and a laptop, you can do it from anywhere. And so when the pandemic hit and companies realized, hey, we're going to have to support this, it opened up the talent pool uh, immensely. I, and I, I, I really struggle and scratch my head when I see those companies that are now reverting back to the way it was uh, it's a huge mistake, a huge mistake. You're just limiting yourself. Uh, Meta yesterday announced formally, publicly, that they're going to support the remote work work uh, model um, uh, across the globe. Um, it, the world's changed, and um, and if you look at even the the polling results, it's not just you know guys like me saying it. it it's 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 the workers. Ninety six percent of software developers will not consider a job if there's not support for remote work. I mean, well, I don't know what else you need to, to look at to support that. So it's Absolutely. Been a, it's a really good thing. And, it, and, it, and, you know, the argument, and I talk a lot about this on, on my podcast, we have a podcast called Hiring University, and we have a lot of hiring managers that come on and we, we talk about this a lot. The argument that, well, I can't manage people as well if, if they're not sitting in the office. 
and you know as well as I do, there are plenty of managers that whether their person is sitting three feet from them or 3,000 feet from them, they're not even engaged with them or talking to right. them or paying attention to them. So, you know, the challenge for managers is just be better. You have to be better. You have to be in touch with your employees. You have to have metrics and guardrails to understand when somebody's performing well or not and then how to course correct for it. And so, you know, I, that argument, I, I poo-poo all day long. It's, it's not valid. Yeah, if, you're, if your people are only behaving well, if you want to use that language, or only doing what you want them to do when you're watching, yeah. you're not really an effective leader. That's right. right. <laughs> I mean, that's right. But that's kind of what we think is like, well, I need to be able to see it. That's the accountability is if yeah. I can see them, then they're going to do the right thing. It's like, well, then you haven't built an effective culture. Yeah. Like you've got to figure out how to lead people where when you're not looking, they still want to do their job and are doing their best. And yeah. that that's it's forcing. I think, like you said, it's forcing us to learn how to actually be good leaders. Hundred percent, and I also want to acknowledge too, because I, you know, I don't want to dismiss the importance of face-to-face -face interaction too, because it is important. And we do it. We assemble either in smaller teams on a regular basis, or we get the entire company together at least a couple times a year. And when we do that, most of the time on the on the calendar or the agenda is about just getting to know each other. We'll spend a little time talking about work and a lot of time to socializing and getting to know each other personally, because that allows you, in, when you head back to the remote model, you've earned that trust and understanding of who that person is. We all function and operate and respond a little differently to one another. And you, it's really hard to do that if you're only operating on Zoom or Teams. You have to have that time together to, to get to know each other. It's important. Absolutely. This, one's, uh, this question is for the founders that are listening. What has been the most difficult decision you've had to make either because it was scary and you weren't sure it was the right decision or it was just emotionally difficult to make? Good question. There's a couple of them. I think when we, uh, and I say we, me and my wife decided to buy out the rest of the business, that was a, a difficult decision. Are we going to bet on ourselves? Um, I've had to let some people go that worked for us that I really was, were very fond of and cared about a lot as people, but had to make decisions, to let them go. That's always a difficult decision. Um, we've had some opportunities to take on new business that we passed on. Those are difficult decisions, but in the end, the right decision, that's where I go back to, you know, thinking like we were in our first hundred thousand dollars versus our, you know, our, uh, our current state. Um, it's hard to say no. Sometimes everything can look really good and it can, you can, you can think that that's the opportunity to expand and grow and maybe it can be a distraction. Those are tough. Um, there's, there's not a week that goes bride drew where there's not a tough decision. And for the other founders out there, I'm sure they can appreciate the comment of that. It's lonely being a founder. Uh, you can't necessarily share or, bounce those decisions or ideas off of your team because you don't want to burden them with the decision. And uh, so it's, it's lonely at times. That's why I'm, I'm so grateful to have a really good board of directors and other mentors in my life that when I run into problems, I can reach out to them because they've been there before. And um, yeah. for any founder out there that doesn't have those resources, go find them. They're, they're invaluable. Absolutely. For you, are there any filters or philosophy or guideposts that that help you uh, it won't be in every situation but is in many situations as possible that helps kind of filter like this points it towards a yes or points it towards a no based on my values or based on this philosophy or does that make sense like a decision making oh, filter yeah. that kind of helps you when it's unclear what to yeah do? no no for 100 percent 
Um, the, 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 the first filter I always look for is, is a good farm place. And we try to manage um, with the lens of, is this going to make our employees better at their jobs? Is it going to um, be consistent with what our corporate goals are that filter all the way down to our employee goals? We map those intentionally and spend a lot of time talking about those. Um, and will it make their lives easier? Um, all, all those things are, are going to every decision of new technology that we bring in, uh, new hires that we bring in. Do they fit in culturally? Um, and, and the other lens that I look through, and this is going to sound a little fluffy um, and, and maybe even silly, but we, I really am mindful of trying to make sure that the atmosphere that we have is one where people are finding joy. Um, and again, that sounds really silly. And some people go, oh, what is this a business? You got to get stuff done. And I believe in that too. I'm as hard charging as anyone. Um, and I picked that up from Steve Kerr. You're a sports guy. Steve Kerr is, is, is one of, if not my favorite coach. And he talks about this all the time. You can yeah. work really, really hard and compete and be as competitive as anyone and still have fun doing it. Um, I think people inherently want to be part of, of a team and something bigger. And if you have an atmosphere where you're all in it together and you're, you're, you're celebrating together and, and losing together and learning together and having fun doing it, man, that's like, that's becomes more than a job. And, yeah. uh, and I think about that all the time and we don't always get it right. And there are some days where it's, it's just hard. Um, but if, if we can wake up more days than not and, and have people feel that way, they're going to keep coming back and stay with us and be committed to it. Absolutely. And I, I think back at when golden state was really at their, their best, where they were one of the best teams we'd, we had seen just running over people for a few years. They also looked like the team having the most fun. Now I know winning is fun, but that's before, right. But also, I mean, there was just this camaraderie between, you know, their players and the fun and the shots that, you know, that Steph Curry was hitting. And uh, you, it, you're right. I mean, there was a level of joy that was in the intensity mixed with the intensity of competition there. Yeah. Well, look, we, we've seen it. There are plenty of teams, whether they're sports teams or businesses that are chock full of tons of talent that aren't having a lot of fun and they aren't winning. Yeah. And so it's the chicken or the egg. Do you start from the ground up and build fun and joy into it and an atmosphere and a culture where people are, are working together or not? And um, it, doesn't, it doesn't just happen automatically. You got to put in the work. It's culture. And culture is also a term that is way overused and people throw it around and they put it on PowerPoints. Culture takes work. You have, to, you have to foster it. You have to build it. A lot of times you have to defend it um, when things are happening that, that aren't supportive of your culture. Um, it is constant. Um, it's a practice. And, uh, and, and that goes, that goes into the, the joy piece of this for sure. Well, correct me if I'm wrong. You aren't you, are you currently coaching right now sports as well? Out, like in, in addition to what you're doing? Yeah, I, this year, unfortunately not, um, just due to some other personal commitments, but I, I've, I've, I've coached youth rugby for the last, uh, six, seven years. Yeah. Cause I want to pull on that for a little, I got two questions related to that. So one is just, I, I kind of see the culture shifting, in many ways, but one of them is that we can't just be leader. Like what a leader needs to be has changed. Mm. That you can't just be the the directive general. You can't oh. just be the the fear and uh, get it done because I said so. We're having yeah. to be coaches. Managers are having to be coaches. They're yeah. having to be people that know how to coach the best out of people. And so I'm curious what lessons you've learned that maybe you've directly drawn on and saying, hey, this is something I see when I'm doing youth rugby that really is what a coach needs to be. And I can apply that in these situations as well. Yeah, there's a ton. Uh, I, I, I take my, my coaching and my CEO hats are interchangeable. 
and I've been fortunate that the, the group of, of coaches that I, I've worked with over the last few years, we all have that same philosophy. Um, and, and we started with kids that were, you know, U12 all the way through high school. We won a national championship as a high school team. And, it, you know, we worked as hard and we're as tough as any coach in the country. But I would like to think that our kids said they had a heck of a fun time along the way doing it. And it wasn't just because we were winning because we created an atmosphere where, you know, there was fun and there was trust and yeah. you don't get to that point unless you have an establish and build relationship with your players. And the same thing is true in a business relationship with your employees. Um, and, and that takes work coaching and, and management. Those are skills. You got to work on it. Um, there's, there's specific tactics and things that you can do to understand, um, you know, how to communicate and uh and you're absolutely right i you and i grew up in in the age where you know there was that that figure and they told you what you do and you did it and yeah no questions asked jerks about it and you didn't matter you just did it uh, that doesn't work anymore um and there's and trust me there are days when i wish it did because sometimes it seems like it's easier um but it's it, it, it this is a better version for sure and uh yeah, I, you know, I see a lot of coaches today uh, that we work with and coach against and it's just, you know, they're just yelling and screaming and it's the old school way and, and yeah. kids don't respond to that anymore. Uh, some of them do, but a lot of them just, they have choices of doing other things and, you know, it's not because it's soft and it's not because, you know, it's just, it's, I think it's evolution and, it, and yeah. it's, a good thing. Um, but it takes a lot of work and a lot of time and, and a lot of practice, kind of like culture, you got to continue to work at. Have you seen the the Netflix show uh, Last Chance You? Oh, sure, sure, sure. I love it, and it also makes me sometimes watch between my fingers. Where mm -hmm. I, depending on the season or the coach, I'm like, Yeah, are you you are I'm watching you lose your players right now. Yeah, like they are literally listening to you less and less. They are gonna fight for you less. Like you just cannot stop screaming. Yeah, and you can't like you're telling them to control themselves on the field, and you can't control yourself on the field, you right. know, it's, it's, it's interesting, not judging them. I know they're under a lot of pressure, all that kind yeah. of stuff, but they are more that outdated kind of thing. And people are just tuning out. They're not listening. Yeah. Um, so is there one, you know, I know that, like you said, there's dozens and dozens of lessons, but is there one tool that you would say if someone's listening and they're saying, that's what I need to do. I got to learn how to be a better coach of, of my organization or of my team. Is there a skill or a tool uh, of, of communication or listening or how to get the best out of someone that, that you that comes to mind for you i wish there was I, I would answer that question by saying the best you know the best way to become a better coach or manager is to talk to other really good coaches and managers surround yourself with the people that you want to um emulate and ultimately maybe even become and there's different ways to do that um you know there's plenty of, of groups i'm part of a ceo group i'm part of the visage group um, so every month I get together with 20 other CEOs and founders and, and I, you know, it's kind of like therapy, uh, Drew, where, you know, when it's coming up to every single month, I really don't want to go. Cause I know I'm going to have to think about stuff and it's going to be hard. Yeah. I'm going to have yeah. to share, but on the other side of it, I'm like, man, I feel a lot better. I'm not alone. I picked up a bunch of, of nuggets of things that I can use in my own business. And, um, it just takes practice. You know, it's like, uh, you want to get good at free throws, practice free throws. You want to be good at manager, practice managing. And, um, and surrounding yourself with the people is the best way that I know to do that. That's beautiful. Um, last question before we, we dive into the, the second part of our conversation is with the, the amount of things you got, you have going on, 
how do you balance your life right now? What is, you know, one of them might have just been you realizing this season I couldn't take that on, and so you made the hard decision to to put that to the side for a minute. But how have you gone about thinking about using your time and your energy wisely with the amount of things pulling on you? Yeah, it, it, there's a lot of discipline in it. And, you know, some of it is just is, is writing it down and mapping it out. And the brain works differently depending on what you're doing. And I, I talk to my team about this a lot there. I'm going to think differently if I'm writing a blog post or prepping for a podcast than I am if I'm doing outbound sales cold calling, which I still do every day. Um, you have to carve out time to allow yourself to think differently as well as take the time to take care of yourself. And, um, you know, another term that work-life balance term thrown out a lot there. Um, you've really got to promote it and embrace it when some of the times when an employee says, well, I'm, I'm going to take, you know, four days off this week. Like, oh, it's like, this is the last week of the month and there's so much to do and you're a top performer and you can't leave you got to support it. Um, because if you don't, they're going to resent you, they're going to burn out. Um, and you have to do that for yourself. Um, you got to make time to exercise, you got to make time to reflect and spend time with family. You know, my wife's good at keeping me honest with that, where she'll come knock me on the head and say, you know, you're done for the day. And because uh, it's always going to be there's always going to be something to do, we could all work 24 hours a day and still have stuff on our plate. Um, you've got to structure that, that time for yourself and for your family um, and for your employees and, um, and let them do that too. Cause they'll follow your lead as well too. Uh, you know, founders that never take time off employees notice that. Um, so Absolutely. it's healthy. Uh, there are days when I don't, I just, I consciously decide not to be on some of our calls. I want my team to go run them. I don't want, you know, I, they get tired of hearing me talk. I get tired of hearing myself talk, let them go, let go a little bit. Uh, and that's so antithetical to how founders think we hold on so tight, let go a little bit and, uh, and you'll be a lot healthier for it. Love it. All right. This part of the conversation is your chance to kind of steer the topic. Um, so my question is, what's the thing that you're currently passionate about sharing that you believe would accelerate either someone's business or even their personal life? Hmm. You're going to have to edit a pause here because I'm going to think about this for a second. <laughs> I'm going to leave the pause in. I like it. <laughs> I mean, we could go back to the whole positive culture thing. Sure. I don't know if that's repetitive or not. No, we didn't really dive too much into that. So what what in your mind would you share about a, building a positive culture? Yeah, I think it goes back to what we talked about earlier challenging managers to become better managers and there's there's so many things involved in that and in our industry i'll i'll, I'll tell you a few of them that, that go into this we talk a lot about on the podcast and with our clients diversity and inclusion we talk a lot about remote work we talk a lot about soft or emotional iq and all those things can be wrapped around better management managers and businesses need to challenge themselves to really look at their diversity and inclusion, hiring policies, the profile of their business today, having a plan. And there's plenty of avenues and resources to go out there and build a plan for how to address that. If we're in the great resignation or the great reshuffle when people are bemoaning the fact that there's not enough good talent, find other places to go find good talent. 
there's only so many graduates every year from an Ivy League schools. You got to go look other places. And there's tons of talent that are looking and have the aptitude for the jobs and that you need to fill that aren't being tapped into. Um, that's number one. The emotional IQ piece, you know, that comes to establishing and building relationships. And, and there too, there are a lot of tools out there that are available and at people's disposal, whether it's consultants or training programs that will help hone those skills because they are skills. Um, and it's as good for the manager as it is for the employee. And, and, it, and that dovetails into the remote work world that we're living in. You have to become better at communicating with your employers and the tools that you and I are having a conversation over Zoom. There's you know, all sorts of messaging applications. Um, there's a lot of different ways to communicate and track versus just having somebody sit at the desk or the cube next to you. So that's really what I'm passionate about. And I think you know, that's, gonna, that, that's what employees want too. It's interesting, we do a lot of surveys internally and we look at a lot of surveys from our competitors that are, are talking about what job seekers are looking for. And almost every single survey shows that company culture and their belief systems are near the top. Compensation is obviously part of it, but like what, if I'm gonna go work for a company, what's their identity? What do they believe in? Um, and I love that because this generation, I think, is far more aware of their responsibility as global citizens and what their companies represent. And um, that goes into who you are as a management team and your culture and your philosophies. They all go hand in hand together. And um, just because you make a, a great product or deliver a great service and make a lot of money, that's not enough. And it shouldn't be enough. Um, yeah. And that, that's a good thing. I like that you said that the, the specifics the culture, they want to know the specifics of what are, what is your belief? What is this culture made up of? And most cultures are accidental because that's a difficult question. I don't even judge that. It's a difficult question when we don't know how to answer it. And so we make sure we have the best product possible. We try our best to be good people, but our culture kind of grows on accident. It's just what emerges versus saying like, these are the tenets or these are the, these are the guideposts. These are the core values that aren't just on the wall. We make decisions by them. We remind us. And so if, if someone's listening and they're like, man, I would say our culture is somewhat accidental. You know, we, we really haven't taken the time to know exactly what we want this culture to be made up on. Wh where would you encourage them to start to get a little more specific or clear on their culture? Well, first of all, if, if it, if it does, if it results from accident or if it's accidental, I'm okay with that. As long as you identify and at some point say, okay, this is who we've become. We like it. It's good. Let's build on it and make it part of who we are, uh, part of our lexicon, right? It's, it's our language. It's our operating language. We can refer back to it. We can cite examples every single week. So we have, we have all hands meetings on Monday, Wednesdays, and Fridays, and they're all a little bit different. But every week, we, we take the opportunity to um, demonstrate. We call it the whys of the week. And we have our mission statement and we have what we call the Ursus way. And there's four things that are comprised of it. And we take a couple of opportunities that happen during the week. And we have employees come forward and say, here's my why of the week. Here's why I did something. Here's why the result happened the way it did and tie it back to the Ursus way. Constant reminder, it works. Um, you're probably doing it and maybe not even realizing that you're doing it because it becomes second nature. Um, that's promoting and defending your culture. Absolutely. Um, yeah. No, that's, that's huge. I remember, uh, I have a, a great friend, Alex Estevez that was, uh, been, he was out in Silicon Valley for a long time in 
huge in software and uh, now he works as anyways i was asking him um man what have you seen to be most important he said culture i was like man everybody says that yeah tell me what you did and very similar to what you said he was like man i had a meeting every week where i asked them to celebrate one thing they saw this week that reflected one of our core values and he said for the first probably three or four weeks it was very like very slow yeah yeah because people weren't used to thinking yeah they weren't used to spotting it and connecting it back to a value but he just kept doing it and he said after a few months he had to cut it off after like it would get going and everyone would start going and he all right that's enough for today we'll do more you know next week but he said that exactly what you're saying spot it call it out you know celebrate it it also it, it just and then he saw the results too their customer service all of that stuff yes. started going up big time so i'm so glad you said that yeah no it's it becomes uh people feel um that they i don't know how to say it, it it's like it, it sets the bar it sets the standard right people they feel like a responsibility is the right word yeah to, to to continue to be part of that and uh and contribute to it and own up to it um that's man that's that's where the beauty happens for sure so cool well my friend i know we're getting close on time here so let me get us to our five lightning round questions yeah these are five questions that we have asked every founder and all we're looking for is just the first thought that comes to mind so we'll start with question number one if you could ingrain just one message into your entire organization almost like a billboard that they would pass by every day what would that message be every day is an opportunity to get better Hmm. i like that uh is it fostering the growth mindset or something like that that's that's yeah, we talk, we t- it's, it's one of the ursus ways it's, it's continual it's continual improvement yeah yeah i like that and that by the way even if you even if you fail if you don't get the result you wanted to failure is fertilizer for future growth that's it mm. say that again failure. failure is fertilizer for future growth a lot of f's in there i like that all right question number two what is the single best advice you've ever gotten about growing your business? And also what was the worst advice to you? Best, best advice is don't quit when it gets hard. Uh, worst advice, uh, expand internationally in your second year. (laughs) (laughs) We tried it. Don't do it. (laughs) Oh, I wish we had time for that story. Uh, that's awesome. All right. Number three, what currently causes you the most stress or worry as the leader of your organization? Are my people satisfied, challenged, and uh, and rewarded? Yeah, yeah. I feel like that's kind of a concern that that's yeah. always there, right? Are we taking care of them enough? Yep. All right. Number four. What's the big vision? What's the uh, big, you know, big hairy audacious goal somewhere yep. that we say uh, of the company? That's the easiest one you've asked. So we we were, as I mentioned, we were recognized as the, the third fastest staffing company overall in the United States, the fastest growing in the technology sector. We're proud of that. There are 12,000 plus staffing companies in the United States. Um, 50, uh, last year, there were 52 of them that had over $100 million in revenue. Uh, that's our next goal, is to be on that list of, of the top 50 plus. Um, and, and then that, that, that'll set us up for our next goal, uh, to crack the top 10. Heck yeah. Awesome. All right. Last question. This is a fun question, not a business question necessarily. Uh, We call this back to the future. So let's imagine you get to hop into a DeLorean. You get to go back to your past, but the goal of this question is not to figure out what you would change. Uh, You get to deliver a message to your younger self. When would you go back 
and what message would you pass along to that younger version of you? Yeah. I, so I love this question. I ask the same question um, to close out every episode of our podcast. Cool. So I love it. Uh, I would, t- so I'd start at the, at the point where I started my career and I was very lucky. I, I, uh, when I got out of college, I was psychology pre-med and I didn't, I knew I didn't want to do that. Although maybe I should have. And I got a job with one of the first internet uh, companies, uh, back in the early nineties. And, and again, I was very fortunate because I was there on the ground floor of, of the internet and, and building it. Uh, I would tell my younger self to, um, be more patient with my career path. I was in such a hurry to be promoted and advance my career that I probably missed some opportunities to work for people that would have taught me a ton. Um, Really good people and really good companies where it wasn't as much money and it wasn't the title. And so I passed on them make the job decision based on where you think you have the most opportunity for growth and the rest of the stuff will, will play itself out. Yeah. Yeah, man. I mean, the older, the older I get, the more I understand. It's like obvious when you see it, that your abilities, your experience, your wisdom, your skill set equals value. And, and hopefully when you're getting paid is just based on how much value you add to a, a certain situation or customer. And so, those people that you're talking about, if you're not in a hurry, become part of adding value to you, that you become smarter, wiser, more caring, more capable, whatever it is that would pay off dividends later in your career, right? 100%. Awesome. John, this has been an amazing conversation. Thank you so much for taking the time to share your story, share your heart and your wisdom with us. It has been incredibly valuable. So thank you for being on here today. It's my pleasure, Drew. I really enjoyed it. Thank you for having me on. Awesome. Founders, thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed it. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast and hop into our monthly founder email so we can ensure you stay on the edge of peak performance and massive business results.